Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Happy Monday. It is a feast of the guardian angels on October 2nd to, let's see, yeah, October 2nd, 2023. My goodness, time flies, right? Already in October, yesterday, the feast of St. Therese of Lisieux. I hope you're having a great October so far. Such a great month for saints. Absolutely just wonderful. But in terms of, again, today's situation, uh, we have a beautiful email that goes out. As I mentioned, I can't encourage you enough to sign up for this because it's free but EWTN does such a great job when they send out these emails and they give you all kinds of different references, not only scripture references, but catechism references about the various feast days. So for example, today being the Feast of the Guardian Angels, paragraph 336, among others of the catechism says, from its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by the angels, watchful care and intercession. Besides each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels, men united in God. Again, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 336. And so what the emails do, which is really cool, is when they look at the feast day of the saints, or for example, today again as the guardian angels, they ask questions. For example, how many angels does God have in heaven? What does the Bible say about guardian angels? How can I communicate with my guardian angels? So they go through and they answer all of these questions for you, which is very, very helpful. Now, I don't have time to go through it all this morning, but let me just pick one of the questions and I'll answer it according to this email. And again, this is from EWTN. Who are the angels? Well, paragraph 350, angels are spiritual creatures who glorify God without ceasing and who serve his saving plan for other creatures. The angels work together according to St. Thomas Aquinas, which they also explain, for the benefit of us all. How do angels help humans? This is really cool. The angels help us in many ways, such as often protecting us from physical danger. More importantly, however, angels can help us in regard to sin. As St. John Bosco said, when tempted, invoke your angel. He is more eager to help you than you are to be helped. Ignore the devil and do not be afraid of him. He trembles and flees at the sight of your guardian angel. So it's just a, a nice reminder. We may be familiar with the feast days, but if not, these emails I find very helpful, especially with all the catechism references. It makes it real easy to understand what the church teaches and why. Okay, we are going to, speaking of great resources in EWTN, after the news this morning on a Monday, we're going to be chatting with Michael O'Neill, the miracle hunter. Doug mentioned this, Doug Keck, on Friday. This program's coming up. This Wednesday, October 4th, 9 o'clock Eastern, his latest episode of The Miracle Hunter, and they might be saints, and this is about Venerable Mother Teresa Dudzik. So always incredibly beautiful and powerful and interesting stories about those on their way to sainthood, and Michael is all about this, so he joins us for two segments today on a Monday morning. And then we continue on with Aaron Mercino, the Chief of Supreme and Appellate Court Practice at Thomas More Law Center. Listen to this, what's happening in our crazy state of Michigan, which is not just something, if it's happening here, it's, it's affecting us particularly in terms of this measure, but if it's done here, you can bet that other states are going to try to pull the same thing. Michigan judges are ordered now to honor pronouns in court. Yeah, isn't that lovely? 
We shall discuss with Aaron at 39 minutes past the hour, and then Gail Buckley will be joining us with her Bible verse of the week, and she, of course, is with Catholic Scripture Study. Almost five minutes past the hour before we break for the news, let's take a look at what the National Weather Service is saying weather-wise. Strong to severe storms and heavy rainfall possible across the southern high plains for the next few days. Isolated severe storms possible farther north across the central northern high plains and above normal near record to record breaking temperatures will continue across portions of the central U.S. That is our forecast across the USA for a Monday and our rundown, as we say in the biz, for a show. Happy Feast of the Guardian Angels. It's just about five minutes past the hour. Let's check the news on a Monday, shall we? Catholic News Agency reporting that Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, the Vatican's new chief of doctrine, is predicting that those who are expecting big changes that come out of this month's Synod of Bishops will be disappointed. But the Argentinian church leader does say, with an exclusive interview with the Spanish-language partner of Catholic News Agency, that he's leaving the door open to such changes happening at possibly a later date. Fernandez is a prefect of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith and making the remarks during the traditional courtesy visit that took place after he and 20 others received their red hats as cardinals from Pope Pantius at the Consistory in St. Peter's Square on September 30th. Now speaking just days before the October 4th opening of the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, which is Wednesday, he predicted that those on both sides of the church's polarized wings will not cut what they want or fear. He said the synod on synodality is not conceived in this vein, at least not this year. Afterwards, we'll see what emerges, and next year we'll see what happens. But for this synod this year, we cannot expect too much. What can be expected, he assured, according to the comments, is deepening our self-awareness of what we are as church, what the Lord is asking of us, and what the world of today expects as well, and how we can better reach people with the same message we've always had. Joined at his balcony overlooking St. Peter's Square for the Sunday Angelus, the Holy Father announcing that on the afternoon of November 6th, he will meet with children across the globe for an event on the theme, Let's Learn from the Boys and Girls. He said, today here beside me, as you can see, there are five children representing the five continents. The Holy Father said, adding that together with them, he would like to announce that on the afternoon of November 6th in the Paul VI Hall at the Vatican, he is set to meet with children from all over the world. He said the event is promoted and organized by the Dicastery for Culture and Education, explaining it would be an occasion in which to reflect a common dream with its focus on the theme, Let's Learn from Boys and Girls. He said this illustrates the desire to go back to having pure childlike feelings because the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like little children. And a few thousand Catholics, according to the Catholic News Agency, joining Dominican priests and sisters over the weekend for a day-long event in our nation's capital, It was focused on prayer and reflection on the rosary to conclude a nine-month rosary novena. The September 30th Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, which was held at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, included talks by Dominican priests, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, confession, and a vigil mass. The pilgrimage was held one day before the start of the month of the rosary, which of course is October. In other news this morning, the San Diego Board of Supervisors delivers a clear message to federal officials about migrants. Member Jim Desmond says 10,000 migrants were dropped off at bus transit or trolley stations throughout the county in just the past two weeks. 
give us the facilities or, you know, the manpower or fund it so we can get these people onto their destinations. To be honest with you, about 90 percent of them are going someplace else in the country. He says Homeland Security gives little warning. He also adds that the board unanimously declared the action is a humanitarian crisis and says the federal government needs to step in. Desmond also says most asylum seekers who come into the county from Mexico will be taken to San Diego International Airport and fly to meet family members or sponsors in other states. Mark Mayfield tells us Senator Lindsey Graham says he believes funding for U.S. border security and funding for Ukraine will be combined. Speaking on CBS Face the Nation, the South Carolina Republican said funding for Ukraine and the border is not an either-or situation. Graham does not believe there will be a standalone bill for Ukraine funding. He did say he believes the vast majority of Republicans would support a bill that combines border security and Ukraine funding, along with disaster aid. More than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers are getting ready to go on what would be the biggest health care strike in the country's history. Unions representing the workers notified the company more than a week ago that they could launch a three-day strike starting this Wednesday. Negotiations on pay, outsourcing, and staffing are so far stalled. The strike could affect Kaiser hospitals and clinics in California, Oregon, Washington State, Colorado, Virginia, and the nation's capital. Two more auto facilities, meanwhile, are now on strike as the UAW expanded its work stoppage to 7,000 more workers on Friday. Ford Chicago Assembly Plant and GM's Lansing, Michigan Delta Township Plant were added to bring around 25,000 workers, about 70% of their members, to the strike. GOP presidential hopeful Nikki Haley is blaming both Congress and the president for the nation's spending and budget issues. Republicans and Democrats, all of them, have been spending taxpayer dollars in a ridiculous way. Yesterday, in news interviews, a former South Carolina governor said the president has done a horrific job of explaining the purpose of U.S. money going to Ukraine is to prevent war and involves on 3.5% of the nation's defense budget. Haley also claimed Congress has passed a budget on time only four times in the last 40 years, saying she believes the U.S. needs to go back to a budget that starts at zero and includes only what's necessary. One House Republican is already criticizing Florida Congressman Matt Gaetz's plans to oust Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. By putting this motion to vacate on the floor, you know what Matt Gaetz is going to do? He's going to delay the ability to complete that work over the next 45 days. Appearing on ABC's This Week, New York Congressman Mike Lawler referred to Gaetz's intention as a diatribe of delusional thinking. Lawler, who's considered centrist Republican, said bills need bipartisan support in a divided government. Gates announced earlier this weekend that he plans to make a motion to have McCarthy removed this week as House Speaker. And a senator whose name is mentioned as a potential third-party candidate in next year's presidential election says he'll make a decision by the end of 2023. I'm more concerned about the country right now. What you've seen, the theatrics that played out, is ridiculous. Speaking on Fox News Sunday, West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin said most people don't want the election to come down to a repeat of Joe Biden against President Trump, former President Trump. Biden and Trump are the overwhelming frontrunners, though, in each party. Manchin said his history of bipartisanship would help bring both sides of the aisle together. A zero-bill bail policy now in effect in Los Angeles County. The mayor of Downey, California, Claudio Fermenta, explains why she's hardly a fan of it. Because individuals are no longer afraid that there's going to be stiff penalties and consequences. 
As of yesterday, folks arrested for nonviolent or non-serious crimes will be cited and released in situations where they would have been kept in jail on bond. L.A. County Superior Court voting to do away with cash bail in July, saying it discriminates against minorities and poor people. A dozen cities in L.A. County have already filed a lawsuit in hopes of having that policy overturned. And Jennifer Personi tells us that New York City Mayor Eric Adams kicking off a two-day summit on the fentanyl crisis. Mayor Adams says the two-day meeting will include strategy sessions with elected leaders, public health officials, law enforcement, the focus on education, enforcement, awareness, and prevention, and to develop a national strategy to combat the rise of fentanyl. It's now the most common drug involved in overdose deaths in the city, including the exposure death of a one-year-old at a Bronx daycare. Stats show drug overdoses killed more than 2,600 individuals in the city in 2021, a 78% jump since 2019. Fentanyl detected in 80% of those deaths. And a 104-old Chicago resident making history after setting a world record for the oldest person to skydive. Yes, you heard correctly. She's 104 years old. Her name is Dorothy Hoffner, and she set the record this weekend after landing on the ground at the Skydive Chicago Airport in Ottawa. It was wonderful. It was a nice, peaceful, and I had to keep myself awake so I could see the scenery. She was born and raised in Chicago, and she says this experience wasn't exactly new. She made her first jump at Skydive Chicago when she was 100 years old. And finally, in our new segment, a sugar replacement is being linked to heart attacks and strokes. Lisa Taylor has that story. That's according to a new study published in the journal Nature Medicine. Erythritol is used to sweeten stevia and monk fruit reduced sugar products. The study links it to blood clotting, stroke, and death. Its lead author said the degree of risk was not modest. Those with existing risk factors for heart disease are twice as likely to have a heart attack or stroke with the highest levels of erythritol in their blood. That's a look at the news today, 13 minutes past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN's Catholic Connection. This program co-produced by EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. Check us out online. Great resources, EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net. Coming up next, speaking of all things EWTN, very excited to have the Miracle Hunter back on with us. Michael O'Neill has a beautiful program coming up this Wednesday about Venerable Mother Teresa Dudzik. He'll tell us all about that. And then Aaron Racino with something that will probably get your blood pressure up, I'm sure. Chief of Supreme Court and Appellate Practice at the Thomas Morris Law Center. She's following up on a story that first came up a few months ago and now apparently has been signed, sealed, and delivered. Michigan judges are ordered now to honor pronouns in courtrooms in the Great Lakes State. Now, if you think this is only going to affect Michigan, think again, because once they see states going this way, other states who agree will try to quickly follow suit. Then we wrap up with our scripture verse of the week with our very own Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study International. An updated look at the weather, talking about more thunderstorms. We have severe thunderstorms and heavy rain potential. Our forecast uh, through Tuesday through tomorrow across portions of the plains. Meanwhile, record warmth for the Great Lakes. Now that's true for Michigan because we're in the mid 80s today, which is highly unusual for Michigan in October. Usually we're in the low to mid 70s. And northeast expected through tomorrow. Now for the Intermountain West, below normal temps, occasional showers, and some higher elevation snow into the Rockies could impact travel. 
through the middle of the week. So keep that in mind if travel is on your schedule. I'm going to be traveling to Jefferson City, Missouri later this week for the Women's Conference. And my understanding is they have just a few more openings. If you'd like to check it out, all the details are under the event section of my website at TeresaTamio.com. It is a Monday morning. We're so happy you're tuning in to EWTN, Global Catholic Radio. We'll be right back as we say in Radio Land. So please don't touch that dial. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. (laughs) EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. a beautiful Monday, the Feast of the Guardian Angels. It is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Having a hard time getting a hold of Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter. Things happen. It's live radio. We'll continue to work on that. In the meantime, uh, the story I'm going to mention right now ties in directly with the discussion we are going to have uh, after the next break, depending on if we get Michael or not, with Erin Mercino. She's scheduled to come up at 39 minutes past hour, but because it's such a big story, we might bring her up a little bit earlier, again, if we can't get a hold of Michael. So Erin is going to be joining us. As I mentioned before the break, she is with the Thomas More Law Center, and she's a chief of Supreme Court and appellate practice. And she is going to be joining us to talk about this decision that was made in Michigan regarding Michigan judges who have now been ordered to use pronouns in court. Now, whatever that means, it, it could be extremely complicated. Are they talking just about a defendant? Are they talking about a prosecutor? Are they talking about a defense attorney? Are they talking about the court clerk, the bailiff? I I don't know. It's just really another one of those cases that is out of control in terms of gender ideology. So she will share with us her thoughts on this and where she thinks this is going in terms of possibly moving to other areas of the country and other states. Now, a very uh, unfortunate story that occurred way, way, way far away, we would say, but we're an international network, so there are many listeners in the continent of Australia. And this is in northwestern Australia. And I shared this story in the first part of my program this morning for my Michigan listeners. There was a 10-year-old girl, 10 years old, autistic girl, who was in the restroom of her school, the girl's bathroom, And a boy who identifies as a girl. Now, again, these are 10-year-olds. And he comes in and basically, I guess, says he could use the bathroom because he identifies as a girl. And the little girl says, well, no, um, you're a boy. You shouldn't be in here. She gets suspended for two days. And the mom goes to the principal with her own mother, and they sit down and they try to talk to the principal. And the principal says, no, if, ends, or buts about it, what this girl did was wrong. She needs to be suspended. This cannot be tolerated. Ten years old. Now, there's so many levels to this story. Again, it ties in with what we're going to be discussing also with Aaron Mercino later on. But let me play you this clip that we aired earlier today on Catholic Connection in the first hour of the program in what I call my two cents segment. This is from uh, this is from actually the uh, Wyndham Television Network and Wyndham Australia, which is where this happened, apparently is in the northwestern part of the country. So listen to the report, which I actually think is is well done, 
And when the media do something well, I think we also have to give them credit for that. But just think about this. Ten years old. Take a listen. This is 10-year-old autistic student, Kenzie, who was suspended from Manor Lakes College recently after an incident involving a transgender student using the girls' restroom. Kenzie's mother, Stacy Lawler, is speaking out, saying her daughter was suspended without any educational support regarding inclusion. She was very confused. This child stated to Kenzie that she presents as a girl, but she was born a boy. On August 21st, a situation unfolded at the school that left her feeling confused and uncomfortable. According to Stacey Lawler, her 10-year-old daughter Kenzie, who is autistic, encountered a transgender student using the girls' restroom. In response to the incident, the school issued a two-day suspension to Kenzie. Stacey Lawler attended a meeting with school officials where she requested the suspension be lifted. Uh, being autistic, things are very black and white. Um, she had no previous knowledge. She needed support and there was no support provided to my daughter. However, the school refused her request. Despite Manor Lakes College's stated values of valuing and empowering children to participate in decisions which affect their lives, Stacey claims that her daughter was suspended without receiving any education or support on the matter. And accessing the toilets, Kenzie then said that you have boy parts um, and you need to use the boys' toilets. Kenzie's grandmother also attended the meeting alongside Stacey Lawler. However, she claims they were asked to leave the meeting, leaving them with unanswered questions. I tried to explain to Scott, um, the principal, that, you know, what, where was the support for Kenzie? And he just kept saying, you know, this is warranted. Um, and I eventually said, you know, look, I think the media needs to know about this. There are other students in that class. Um, you know, parents should be aware um, just in case the situation happens to them. And as soon as I mentioned media, Scott asked us to leave. Wyndham TV reached out to the Minister for Education for an interview but received no response. The lack of communication has left Kenzie's family frustrated in seeking answers. According to the suspension notice, Kenzie was accused of behaving in a manner that posed a danger, whether actual, perceived or threatened, to the health, safety or well-being of any person. The accusation stemmed from what the school deemed a highly inappropriate remark Kenzie made about a person's identified gender and the use of the bathrooms. This remark reportedly caused emotional distress to another student. Despite the emotional upset experienced by Kenzie, her mother believes that her daughter's confusion and lack of understanding were not taken into consideration. It's not right. What he has done, he's made a decision based off verbal communication and not taking into consideration that everybody with a disability needs to be heard. The suspension of 10-year-old Kenzie has raised questions about how schools address incidents involving gender identity and inclusion particularly when students may not fully understand the complexities of the issue. Whether it be Kenzie or any other child, there should have been more support for Kenzie. End of story. As the debate continues, we hope for a resolution that ensures the well-being and education of all students involved. And I would like an apology for what, what my daughter wow. has been through. There you have it, happening not only here in the United States, but around the world, 10 years old. And what about the 10-year-old boy? Everyone's okay with him at 10 years old, identifying as a girl, really? This is what it's come to? More a little bit later with Aaron Messino. Michael Neal is on the phone with us. We'll get to him up next. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Michael O'Neill with us, a miracle hunter, coming up this Wednesday, as Doug Keck mentioned on our Inside Word segment on Friday. They might be saints, and this week it's about Venerable Mother Teresa Zudzik. Am I pronouncing her name correctly, Michael? Good morning. Thanks for joining you us. You got it. Good morning. Zudzik, yes. Okay, so tell us about her. So she was a uh, Polish uh, immigrant who came to Chicago and was known for uh, being this great seamstress in the 1880s in Chicago which kind of coincided with the same exact time when the Polish population in Chicago exploded. And for those people who aren't Polish who don't know that uh, Chicago actually has the largest Polish population in the world outside of Warsaw. So uh, this uh, uh, Teresa Dujic, she grew up as a seamstress. And as she walked to work every day and brought uh, brought these uh, incredible uh, uh, works to, to the women of the Gold Coast of Chicago, she saw all these people on the streets of Chicago in poverty, and suffering, and she got the idea that she would start to bring them food, and then after bringing them food, she would bring them into her home, and she started uh, building up this ministry that ended up turning out to become the Franciscan Sisters of Chicago, uh, one of the great orders here in Chicago. So um, it was a great honor for me to do this episode. Personally, I'm from Chicago, and uh, this is the latest of our series, uh, They Might Be Saints, which is about Americans on the path to sainthood. So she is venerable, right? Yes, she's venerable, so with one more miracle, or one miracle, she will be declared blessed. A second miracle will make her a saint, but she's moved on to that second stage of canonization. John Paul II was the one who declared her venerable. So uh, with this uh, episode, we're trying to shine some light on her, and maybe maybe some miracles will be worked through her intercession. So I had not heard of her before. Is she much loved in the Chicago area? Is she well-known? Amongst the uh, Polish in Chicago, like I see, there are many, many Poles here in Chicago, uh, but she's well-known uh, in that group of people. Uh, but uh, otherwise, she isn't as well-known. But the Franciscan Sisters of Chicago, of course, uh, and this uh, episode airs on the feast day of St. Francis, so that's kind of a fun a fun thing for them as well. But uh, she, you know, we're trying to, to get her to be well, more further known because uh, she had a great life of uh, charity and serving the poor. So it's very, I think, uh, timely that it airs on Wednesday, being the love that St. Francis had for the, for the poor, right? You got it. Yeah, being the Franciscan Sisters of Chicago, I think that feast day is as good as any uh, to, to celebrate uh, this, this other Mother Teresa. We all know Mother Teresa of Calcutta, but this is, this is sort of our local Mother Teresa, you might say. What do we know about Mother Mary Teresa wanting to become a nun versus why didn't she decide to just continue her work as a layperson? What, what motivated her to think about uh, becoming a religious? Yeah, it's such an interesting story, and I think people might, uh, their eyebrows might be raised by this, but apparently when she and some other tertiary Franciscans got together uh, in order to uh, put this order, or to, to do this ministry, they uh, approached a priest, a priest at St. Stanislaus Kafka. When she, appro- when she approached uh, the, 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 the priest there, Father Barzinski, and asked that, uh, and asked that uh, they might do this ministry, uh, this priest said to them, um, you can do this, we will support you, this will be a great ministry of this church. However, you must join, you must create a, an order of sisters in order to make this work outright. Uh, so, um, so Teresa had, had people coming into her home, she was taking care of uh, elderly men in her home, and they thought just for the optics of everything, it would make more sense if uh, if they were an order of sisters, and that would give it the support that they needed. So uh, I don't think that uh, that uh, Teresa Dujic at that moment had the idea of becoming a nun, but that was the recommendation of their spiritual director. So 
eventually six uh, six nuns joined, and uh, then the order grew and grew and grew, and then they started taking people under the auspices or under that umbrella of the Sisters of Chicago. So, um, so it was uh, not her original intention, but uh, she felt that's what God was calling her to, and that's what she moved towards. How do you find the subjects for your programs? What motivates you? No, it's great. I think that uh, we have in the United States as many as 24 or 25 venerables, blesseds, and there's many, as many as 100 servants of God around the country. But we're always trying to feature these people on the path of sainthood, and I think that uh, people find inspiration in all kinds of walks of life. So, uh, of course, when we talk about the care for the poor, we have someone like uh, Teresa Dujic as someone as a great example. But we've also featured uh, lay people, and we've also featured priests and, and others who have uh, had an inspiration to serve God here in the United States. And I think that one of the fun things for us is we always think of saints as being these people who lived centuries ago in far-off lands over the ocean, when we don't have this idea that here in the United States, this is actually a ground where saints can grow as well, and we're all trying to become saints. So I think that my motivation is anybody who can kind of inspire us to be saints, I think they're worth uh, featuring on an episode of They Might Be Saints. We're talking with uh, Michael O'Neill, known as a Miracle Hunter, about his uh, program on EWTN, They Might Be Saints. And this week, Venerable Mother Teresa Duzik, as he mentioned, and this is uh, coming up on Wednesday at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, October 4th. And, of course, that's a Feast of St. Francis. And being that she had such a love for the poor, it's a perfect time to air that program. So how far in advance do you do you look at these different states? How long does it take you, I mean, production-wise, to put something like this together, Michael? Because everybody, we make it look easy on radio and TV, or <laughs> people think it's just done so, oh, it's just, it just happens. But there's so much detail that goes into these programs, I know. Absolutely. We usually film them about a year out from when they air. And so, especially in Chicago, where the weather isn't always so beautiful, uh, we always have to kind of line it up to the spring and summer months, so we get some beautiful shots, and, and people will be really wowed by the recreations in this one. But we felt we, we we film it about a year in advance, and then we do editing and research, and then put it all together. And so uh, this this airs about uh, a year after the filming. So it's quite a big effort, and so we're so excited, and the Franciscan sisters are so excited that the world will get to know uh, their their foundress, Mother Teresa Duce. So it airs on Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Will it be re-aired? Usually EW10 re-airs a program, so if you can't watch it once, you have another chance afterward. Absolutely. They Might Be Saints airs every uh, Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 a.m. Eastern. And so for people who do miss it, we've done about 20 or 25 episodes, so they air in a loop, so eventually people will catch them again. But uh, this is the big debut uh, here on Wednesday, 8 8 a.m. Central. 9, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Mother Teresa Dujic. Uh, we're excited to, to debut a brand new episode of They Might Be Saints. Yeah, 9 p.m. Eastern, just so people know, 8 p.m. Central. Okay, so a little scoop. Do you have, can you tell us what's coming up in, in the next few segments? Can you give us like a little insider tip on what we can expect? Well, I think that uh, for people who want to know more about uh, my work as a miracle hunter and my television work for EWTN, in addition to They Might Be Saints, we have a brand new season of Explore with the Miracle Hunter, which is where I travel around the world and uh, show the shrines and other places of great miracles around the world. And we have seven new episodes of Explore, which are also airing on Saturdays at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so that's uh, something that's coming up as well around the corner uh, on EWTN related to my work uh, in traveling the world. That's awesome. So where are you going next? I mean, in terms of your next, like, when are you getting on a plane next to do your next uh, um 
Miracle Hunter story? Well, I'll, I'll answer it this way. I just got off a plane last week. Ah. I was in Mexico. Uh, we were filming uh, two, uh, three episodes in Mexico, including uh, Explore Puebla and Explore Tlaxaca, which is a place of St. Michael's apparition. And then uh, also we uh, filmed in Tietzla, the place of the Eucharistic Miracle. There. I was just so. going to say the Eucharistic Miracle. That's awesome. Well, we look forward to having you back on for those shows. Michael O'Neill, of course, a Miracle Hunter. And They Might Be Saints, talking about a number of shows, including this Wednesday, Mother Teresa Dutzek, 9 o'clock Eastern on the EWTN Network. We'll be right back with Aaron Mercino from Thomas More Law Center. Stay tuned. Always keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And remember that God is in control, no matter how crazy things get. And yes, I know, every time we turn around, they look like they're getting crazier, including what's happening in my own home state of Michigan. So grateful for the work of Erin Mercino. She's a fabulous attorney, does amazing work with our friends at the Thomas More Law Center, and she's the chief of Supreme Court and appellate practice. So Erin, my dear, fill us in on what's happening in our lovely Michigan with these judges being ordered now to honor pronouns in the courtroom. Tell us about it. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Oh, Teresa, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Michigan Supreme Court has decided to change our court rules in Michigan. Um, so parties, including criminal defendants and attorneys, can include in um, their signature blocks and in their pleadings their preferred pronouns, um, which would be he, him, his, she, her, hers, or they, them, theirs for an individual. And they also can include um, their preferred address, meaning like Mrs., Mr., or Mucks, um, which is, you know, rhyming with schmucks. It's a a neutral, I guess, um, form of address. And then the judges have to follow and use those pronouns and addresses when referring to the person Um, or they could use other respectful means but that other respectful means has to be and this is in the rule not inconsistent with the individual's designated salutations or personal pronouns so essentially um, if a person decides that they're going to go by a certain gender identity then the judge must without any sort of fact-finding or anything like that, they must follow what the person designates as their gender identity. And this is this is so ridiculous in, in terms of as if judges aren't don't have enough on their plate. Now they have to figure this out. Now, according to the story on uh, one of our local TV stations, Fox 2, says a rule kicks in January 1st, will still allow judges to avoid pronouns and refer to someone by their role in the case, such as attorney or plaintiff, followed by a last name. Now, they claim the rule does not force anyone to violate their beliefs, but two justices, Brian Zara and David Viviano, oppose the rule, saying this is a fluid political debate into which our judicial branch of state government should not wade, let alone dive headfirst and claim to have resolved. Such hubris has no place in the operation of a judicial branch of the state government. So could this, is this over now? Can, I mean, their judges, can they appeal this? Can this change? How does this work legally, Erin? Um, what would have to happen is a judge would have to be brave enough to bring a lawsuit and you know I'd mm. be happy to represent any judge who's brave enough to do so um, but the problem with this it's compelled speech it, it requires that the judge adopt a certain frame of mind um, use certain words and even though there is this caveat that the judge can use other respectful means it has to adopt a certain ideology 
that the party, including, you know, a criminal defendant, designates that the judge has to adopt. But what if the judge doesn't agree with it? What if that's not the truth? What if, you know, the defendant is specifically trying to use this in a way to create an advantage in court? There's so many different reasons why this is wrong and why we shouldn't be just designating that, you know, without any sort of fact-finding, any sort of determining whether this is sincere, um, without any sort of constitutional test whatsoever that this is just a, a party or an attorney can demand what's true or not. This came down last week from the Michigan Supreme Court. Did this decision surprise you? Um, it didn't surprise me, unfortunately. I was hoping that there were different um, amendments that would have been adopted to this court rule. I know there is um, a very large group of judges in Michigan who wanted the rule to be more flexible. There was already a rule in place that judges have to be respectful and courteous to the litigants before them and the attorneys before them. And I think that everything was already really encompassed in that rule. And there didn't need to be this control over specific language that the judges have to use. This seems like overkill. And it, it seems like the court really taking a political posture yeah. and really politicizing the court. It's supposed to be when you when you go to court, it's supposed to be, you know, the, the blind justice. You know, yeah, lady justice. Justice scale, is blind. Right. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not designating, OK, one party has told me this. This is automatically true. This is automatically fact. So I think it really challenges the, the power of the court and really politicizes the court as well. Do you think, I mean, is your gut telling you or have you heard anything about a possible lawsuit by one of the judges that that's uh, speaking out against us? I haven't, but um, again, this would be something that the Thomas More Law Center would be happy to take up. And we have, we've, we've commented against the rule. We've explained all of the different case law that's against the court adopting this. I mean, there is a Sixth Circuit um, U.S. Court of Appeals case that directly dealt with whether a professor was required to use preferred pronouns or not. And the court found that, no, he has the First Amendment right not to, because this is a matter that's still up for public debate. This is something that people discuss. It's not something that's required, and we're not going to compel his speech. But the Michigan Supreme Court has designated that, apparently, in their opinion, that it's so important that they must must be able to compel judges' speech. We are speaking with Erin Mercino. She's the Chief of Supreme Court and Appellate Practice at Thomas More Law Center. Erin, where are we in not only our state of Michigan, but the country and the world? I was telling you during the break about that story that I ran earlier out of Australia where a 10-year-old girl, autistic girl, was suspended for two days because she asked a question of a boy who identified as a girl, another 10-year-old, why he was in the girl's bathroom. What is it about this issue? This is just superseding everything and common sense all over the place. It is. I mean, in no other area of law do we see just an automatic, um, yes, if someone says it's true, then it must be true. Um, But I think that we are seeing there's glimmers of hope. Um, We saw the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals opinion on Friday that upheld Tennessee and Kentucky's ban against um, transgender operations on minors. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so we do see that people have, you know, they're recognizing that there are really negative effects for young children um, undergoing these procedures. So these children might not be in the best position to make decisions for the rest of their life, you know, that affect when they become adults. 
Um, so there are glimmers of hope that maybe, you know, the the turning point is, is somewhat, you know, near um, if we haven't reached it already. But in terms of free speech, I think as a country, um, you know, you can look at the different polls that have come out recently where people don't value free speech as they used to. And it used to be even the ACLU 10 years ago were representing people where they didn't agree with what they said, but they still stood up for Defended their, their right to say it. To say right. It. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and now it's, you know, do we agree with what the person said? And if we agreed with what the person said, then we'll defend their right, which is completely what the First Amendment is, is not supposed to protect. It's supposed to protect the right to disagree. Um, so I think in terms of free speech as a country, I think we're in a, a dark place. And I think yeah. we're in a place where we really need to help others and, and educate and really recognize that someone's right to say something that we completely disagree with is our right as well. And if we allow um, their speech to be curtailed, then eventually it will be our speech as well. Absolutely. Aaron, thank you so much. Wish you had more time. I have to take a break and get our last guest on. Aaron Mercino with the Thomas More Law Center speaking about a recent decision by the Michigan Supreme Court ordering judges to honor pronouns in the courtroom. Erin, thanks so much. How do we find you online? Thank you, Teresa. You are so wonderful. Um, ThomasMoore.org. All right, sweetheart. Have and a great week. Like the Saint M-O-R-E. Yep. Tom, M-O-R-E. <laughs> Thomas Moore Law Center. You too. You. Thanks for your great work. God bless you too. Right back to wrap up with Gail Buckley and our scripture verse of the week on a Monday. Stay tuned. No matter what, Jesus is Lord. The church is still the church. Do not forget that ever. Right, Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study? Good morning. (laughs) Absolutely, he is. Absolutely. And so today's verse is from Acts chapter 11, verse 21, and it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this verse is referring to Christians who were, you know, evangelizing about Jesus, and, and it says the hand of the Lord was with them. That's the reason why so many people believed and turned to Christ. So years ago, Teresa, I was um, reading um, a message from Our Lady of Los Angeles, and the Blessed Mother stated that because there was so much sin in the world that she didn't know how much longer God would hold back his hand. And I was intrigued about that phrase, holding back his hand, you know, by the hand of the Lord. So um, I did a little research on that phrase, the hand of the Lord, in Scripture, and I mm-hmm. found out that the hand of the Lord, or, or, or the hand of God, either way, was used like 55 times in the Bible. And I also found out that um, it was used in different ways. For instance, um, I learned that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and it's also dangerous and deadly against his enemies. For example, um, I think it's in chapter 15 of um, Exodus, it states that um, God's hand shattered the enemy of his people. In other words, you know, God's hand was with his people when they were in battle, and, and he utterly destroyed them. So, And then the Bible shows also that the hand of the Lord um, empowers you know, his people in other ways. Such, well, like the way he empowered their hand in our verse today and helped the people evangelize. But it also mm-hmm. says in our scripture that the hand of the Lord sometimes can be heavy and disciplines his people. And that was the way in which the Blessed Mother apparently was talking about in Our Lady of Lachalette. And we, But we have to remember, you know, the word discipline means to teach and, you know, to, to train. 
the the purpose of God's discipline is not to punish us, but to transform us. You know, in Psalms 12, David is um, remembering that uh, when he looked back at the time when he was sinning, that God's uh, hand, his mighty hand was heavy upon him, it said. And the last way that the phrase is used, we're told in Scripture that the hand of the Lord will always be with his people. And, of course, we're his people, and so I think it's great for us to remember that all these ways in which the hand of God is with us, but mainly that he's always, his hand is always with us. And finally, I was thinking, uh, St. Peter said, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So I was just, this is just ways that I was looking in Scripture to find out how that phrase was used. I thought it was just interesting when that blessed mother said she didn't know how much longer God could hold back his hand. I think about that mm-hmm. now and the way the state of the world now. How much longer I did two. I did two hand? stories today. I just interviewed Aaron. It's funny you should say that. I just interviewed Aaron Mercino, Gail, from the yeah. Thomas More Law Center in Michigan. Our Supreme Court, state Supreme Court, are you sitting down, has decided that judges have to use preferred pronouns that are that that people say by, by which they want to be referred so they if, if someone says Heard i want to be that. called this whatever it is right and it's like okay and then we had a story that i also ran this morning out of australia where a 10 year old autistic little girl is in her school's bathroom the girl's bathroom and a boy walks in and apparently the boy identifies as a girl and she gets suspended because uh-huh. she asks him what are you doing here she gets suspended oh my gosh Unbelievable, isn't it? So the only thing I can conclude, yeah, I'm here. The only thing I can conclude is that we serve an extremely loving and merciful God who continues to give us chance after chance after chance to repent. Amen. He's very merciful. Thanks, God. Thank you, God, for your mercy. And I think that's because he wants more people to come back to him, and he's given them a chance to do so. And we just have to pray that they will. Everybody will turn back to God. Yep, and we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, as it says in Scripture, and you know all about this, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay, before we let you go, I want to give you a chance to to plug what's coming up at Catholic Scripture Study. Is there a new study? Uh, who's written some of the material this time around? Tell us about it real quick. Well, there's not really a new study going on right now. We're, uh, right now they are promoting the older studies because... Um, there, there's just um, not the funding right now for a new study for CSS, unfortunately. But there's a lot of great studies out there. Um, and, of course, we have to remember we have studies for Advent, which will be coming up in the near future. And um, hopefully we'll have another new study coming out within another year. Well, you know what? Scripture is timeless, so those studies are all fantastic, and I know because I've taken several of them, right? So I would really check it out. What's the website for Catholic Scripture Study? CSSprogram.net. All right, my dear. Well, you go and have a, yep, CSSprogram.net. You go and have a great week. Thank you for your insights on this verse from Acts 11, 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is what we pray for every single day, that we keep our eyes on Jesus and we help others do the same. Thanks, Gail. Thanks so much, folks, for tuning in to Catholic Connection on a very busy Monday morning, the Feast of the Guardian Angels, October 2nd, 2023. And we'll have a lot more on other saints later in the week, including, of course, on St. Francis on Wednesday. And we also will have updated information on the Synod on Synodality. Joan Lewis will be joining us Wednesday. 
Father Mitch will be joining us on Thursday to talk about this and also Adubia questions from several cardinals to the Pope and all kinds of other important information for you right here on EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. Have a great Monday. Adomani, talk to you tomorrow. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.